everyone. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey everybody, it's Eric alongside Rod here, continuing with our Big Ten previews. Today's team is Rod's number three team, the Ohio State Buckeyes. Thank you to all of you who support the show via one-time gifts through PayPal or Venmo, or on a recurring monthly basis on Patreon or Substack. As a reminder, recurring monthly supporters on Patreon and Substack qualify for a monthly drawing for Nudge Printing gift cards. If you want to learn more, head on over to tffinots.com support for links and more information. All right, so let's talk about the Ohio State Buckeyes. Last season, they were 16-19 overall. 5-15 and 15 in the Big Ten, and that was actually after a flurry at the end of the season. <laughs> they got a few wins. Uh, they finished, although despite the bad record, they finished 49th under Ken Palm. And so Ohio State seems to be a chronically underachieving team, but uh, they look like they were going to be NCAA, NCAA worthy team last year. Didn't happen. They had some injury problems. And then what has been, a, I guess, a recurring problem of poor defense was really, really bad last year. Led them to a 13th place finish in the conference. They were obviously less than 500 record overall and missed the tournament. Uh, but, you know, they had a lot of talent, which was surprising because they had Bryce Hensbaugh, who ended up being a draft pick uh, in the first round. And um, they knocked Michigan State out in the Big Ten tournament in the, in the I guess, with their Michigan State's first round, which was the third round, right? And um, they're... Profile for the team under Holtman has is pretty typical of what it's been the last few years since he's been there. 19th in offensive offensive efficiency, but 106th on defense. So the offense was really good three point shooting, 36.8%, which is good for 38th in the country. And they had a solid turnover percentage of only 50th. And offensive rebounding, they were 88th, which is okay. On defense, yeah, that's again like that's where the problem was. They were number 140th against twos. And defensive rebounding, they're 184th. And so, obviously, those things have to be fixed. When you look at, you could say some of that was due to injuries, and, and maybe, I don't know, I guess it, I guess on some level, I think that this is sort of who Ohio State is, but then the the injuries just exacerbated the sort of their, their weaknesses, like with rebounding, for instance, when they lost Key. I think that's true. I, they were in trouble before Zed Key got hurt, but... When he got hurt, that made it worse. When he did try to play, he was often ineffective. There were several games. It was really, I mean, we can talk about it later when we get to him, but it was really hard to watch. He had a bum shoulder. He was trying to fight through it, and you'd see him start to play a game, and he'd last a few minutes, and then something would happen yeah. on a rebound attempt, or maybe he'd get fouled trying to trying to take a shot around the rim, and you'd see the shoulder just go out on him again. Uh, it was awful and it was a, a merciful move to shut them down when they did. But <laughs> yes. I think that's true. I think that they were in trouble anyway. And then the injuries exacerbated things. So Ohio state under Chris Holtman, if you remember the first year he had the job, he was working with guys that were left over from the previous regime, the Thad Bata regime and, and the end of the Thad Bata era did not go well for Ohio state, right? Wasn't God awful, but it wasn't anywhere near. I mean, let's remember for close to a 10 year period, Ohio state was really, I think 
along with Wisconsin, the only one of only two schools that that Michigan State was looking squarely in the eye at in the conference. Most of the time, Ohio State was very, very competitive. They won some Big Ten championships. They reached some Final Fours, all of that. And and then it ended badly. But no one ever questioned that Mata had still been able to bring in some talent. It was just he wasn't able to develop that talent the way he had been previously. And so that's why he was gone. Yeah. Um, in terms of the results, I mean, there were health reasons, et cetera, that led to that. But Holtman came in and that first year, if you remember, uh, Bates Diop and, and Tate, both of whom were moderate recruits had great years yeah. and Ohio state was a pleasant surprise. Not a lot had been expected of them and they were very, very good that first year since then. It's been rough. And and last year it finally culminated in them not getting to the tournament, which, you know, that's a that's a big deal. Even at a place like Ohio State that basketball was kind of a, a pleasant diversion. Um, <laughs> that still matters. They still expect to be a regular NCAA tournament participant, and they should. So I think that was eye-opening. I've been mentioning <laughs> basically about three years running that I felt like at a serious basketball school, Chris Holtman would be feeling at least a little heat. So I was ahead of the curve on, on the Chris <laughs> Holtman watch. And, and then last year it finally happened where everybody woke up and said, wait a minute, this isn't going the way we thought it was or, or would because Chris Holtman had come in from Butler. Um, he'd had a very, very good rep. He did that good first year at Ohio state. And I think, people then sort of went to sleep yeah. and weren't paying attention to the fact that even though they were just eking into the tournament, those were dis you said it, they were perennially disappointing. And, and a big part of it has been the defense. He has been unable to get Ohio state for three years running to play even halfway decent defense. I'm not talking even about good. They've been awful. And it, thank God they've been so good offensively because if they hadn't been, We'd be talking about even worse results, but you know, last year his luck ran out. And, and so essentially what you're looking at this season to me is very much a make or break kind of year. And that doesn't mean that I think he's got to win the big 10 or he's got to get to a final four, but this program has to show that they can meet or exceed expectations that they can at least meet them. And frankly, from where I'm sitting, and, and I'm I'm not sure yet if I'm really an outlier in this or not, I look at this Ohio State team as a group with a lot of potential. I've, I've got them third, so obviously yeah, Scarlet, I believe in that. Yeah, drink the Scarlet and Grey Kool-Aid. I think they've got a lot of potential here, but the bottom line is they are not going to be able to scratch the surface of that if they can't learn to guard somebody. Yeah. And so that to me is the biggest thing that's on Chris Holtman after the, the, the good news is I think at the end of last season, ironically, after some of the injuries had taken some guys away, they were playing their best basketball. And in large part, it was keyed by their young guys. So that's another reason why I'm optimistic about them heading into the season. I think some of those guys who were freshmen last year that sort of struggled to find themselves early on found themselves during that late run where they won their final three regular season games. And then they won three big 10 tournament games in a row. Um, that looked like a good team at the end of the year. 
And I'm not just saying that because they handled Michigan State. I mean, they beat some other people yeah. too. Um, and and I, I really do think they learned something. And at least those guys had a breakthrough that I would think will carry through to this season. And then they add a lot too, but we'll, we'll get into it. But I, I think there are good reasons for expectations to be high. But I'll tell you what, if Holtman has another one of these years where he's on the bubble and they're if it were me, I'd be thinking about making a move because he's had a long enough run. And this is a team that should win. Yeah. In my view. And they've, and like you said, they've been spinning their wheels. And you know, this kind of brings me to the one question that it's certainly following the show. And then now as a part of the show the last year and a half, looking at the Ohio state Buckeyes and the, the failure in playing to play defense, Chris Holtman came with a pretty good background of playing good defense or have teams that play good yeah. defense at Butler. Right. Yeah. So I guess the question is, what is, which is real? Like, was it where the teams at Butler outliers? Do you just have players that I don't know, like to play to defense know. or something? Because you think with all the talents he's had, and is it just a tougher league, and so his defensive scheme doesn't work? I mean, I'm trying to figure out what it is that if there's any reason to if there's any reason to think that it's going to be better this year. Well, you're right to be skeptical. Um, I have not, honestly, and it's you're, you're raising a good point. It's something I should do to take a deeper look at the carryover in his staffs from Butler to Ohio ah, State. Because right. sometimes, mm -hmm. sometimes it can be a key assistant coach that's responsible for, you know, some coaches have done it that way. John Beeline, right. Beeline yeah. got religion on that, basically handed the defense over to a couple other guys at, toward the end of his tenure, and it made a huge difference. I don't know if that's been part of the equation for Holtman or not. Uh, I will also say this, he's, he's had some teams with the last couple of years, especially he's had key players who were surprising as freshmen. He had, uh, Malachi Branham a couple of years ago. And then last year, Bryce Sensabaugh, both of whom were freshmen that when they were recruited, I don't think those guys were identified as obvious one and dones. Mm-hmm. And yet they were. And so why that's important is not so much that they were one and dunce, but that they were so good offensively as freshmen that they felt they had to play them. But neither of those guys was ready to guard anymore. I mean, Sensabaugh was flat out awful defensively yeah, right. at times. For as good as he was on offense, he was really bad defensively. And so I think that's been part of it, too, that there's they haven't had a lot of roster continuity from year to year. If you look at the last three years, there have been a lot of transfers, a lot of freshmen, and it seems to just churn year to year. That's not a good way mm -hmm. to really maintain uh, defensive standards, generally speaking. You know, some guys, somebody, somebody like John Calipari has been able to do that generally with, with heavy roster churn, but that's a hard thing to do on the defensive end. So that may be part of it too, but it's also a reason, I will say, it's a reason to be skeptical coming into this season, because although they return some guys, they're going to be some new faces in that lineup again. Yeah. So you just don't know. I don't know the answer. I don't think it's an obvious answer as to the, as to the why other than the numbers are what they are. The results are what they are. It's very clear that it's been a problem. And so if Ohio state is going to be more than a marginal NCAA tournament team that lands, you know, somewhere between a seven and a 10 seed, maybe wins a game, maybe loses a first round game, but they're done before the end of the first weekend. Uh, 
Yeah. If they're going to be more than that, it's got to happen on the defensive end. Because right now, honestly, although he doesn't get tagged with it nearly to the extent that would be fair to do so, tell me the difference fundamentally between Ohio State and Iowa over the last three years. Just wins. There's not much of one. <laughs> I, I think Iowa's better. I don't think there's any question better, there. But the, yeah. but, the, but the profiles are very similar. The difference would be Iowa's been even a little better offensively than mm-hmm. Ohio State. Yeah. And the defenses have been bad on both ends. So, you know, there's that. But, but you don't hear people talk about Holtman in the same way. I mean, everybody knows, even semi-casual fans, I think, know that Iowa just doesn't guard anybody, that they're going to try to win every game in a shootout. I don't think that's been extrapolated to Holtman the way that it should be, the way that he deserves over the, with what's happened over the last three years, you know? Yeah. Maybe that's just a reflection of this fact that people don't pay as much attention to Ohio State basketball, you know, and, and Iowa, there's not much else going on. So people pay attention to the basketball a little bit more out there. <clears throat> just looking things up, it's interesting. There are the three assistant coaches that Holtman had when he, in his last year, but Butler, Johnson, Schrag, and Pedon, and none of them are assistant coaches now. I don't know if they were, uh, Initially, so but that would certainly explain it possibly. Yeah, some of those guys have moved on. Yeah, yeah, it could be it could be staff continuity. That might be that might be a reason. I'm not sure. Yeah, uh, but it, it's but whatever it is, it's on him ultimately. The same <laughs> way it was problem. on John Beeline. The same way it's on Fran McCaffrey. You know, if you can't get it done, you got to keep trying things to find a way to turn that around. And you know, to me, as I keep saying, this Ohio State team. I've got them ranked the highest of anyone in the league other than the big two. I really do feel like Michigan State and Purdue, at least the way it looks right now, unlike last season where it was just a jumbled mess and you couldn't really tell how Mm -hmm. it was going to sort out that Purdue pulled away. I look at it this year. There's a big two and then everybody else. But to me, if I'm an Ohio State fan, I look at this roster and I think, you know what? There's no reason that we should look at this team and what its potential is and say, well, we've got no chance to contend for a league championship. Those are the, I mean, this should be a very strong team. And if it's not, that's got to come around one way or the other to Chris Holtman. It has to, because he's been there long enough now. I mean, this is his thing. He owns it. Yeah. Well, and certainly the one thing that whether as far as you look at the, the product in the court, I mean, there's been no shortage of talent coming into that university. They've been able to recruit just great. And they have, you know, obviously great place recruiters out of Ohio and the Midwest in general, right? So he's done pretty well there, right? I would say this. The interesting thing about Holtman is he's he's yet to have a knockout class. I think the one he's got this year, this year's freshman class, is the closest he's had to that from a rankings point of view. But but then you look at guys I just mentioned, the last two guys he's had go in the first round, Branham and Sensabaugh, neither one was considered like a knockout, you know, automatic pro kind of recruit. They were interesting recruits, decently regarded, but not expected to be immediate superstars. And yet they were, at least offensively. Um, so he's had a good eye for talent in that way. I guess I got to give him credit for that. Um, but the bottom line is what you suggest when you think about those guys, you think about EJ Liddell was a great player for them. Um, they've had some other guys too, over time, uh, Dwayne Washington, they've had some very, very good players. And yet it just hasn't amounted to much, 
You know, they had the they had the one year in in the COVID year where they kind of seemed like a contender, but then it fell apart at the end. Michigan State was one of the teams to hand them a loss. They went from in contention league title to I think they finished twelve and eight in the league. And then the last two years have been worse than that. So yeah. We'll see if he can change the narrative, but it's getting to be the time, in my opinion, where the narrative has to change for his sake. Yeah, they definitely have not been performing at the level they should. Well, and you know, if your gutters are not performing the way they should, let me tell you, you need to talk to the brothers that just do, the brothers that just do gutters. Uh, it's super important to have good defense, right? To make sure that water stays off away from the side of your house. And so That's right. the best way to do that is to have a good system that gets it out of there. Because if it just starts piling up, it causes all sorts of problems. And eventually, no matter what you do, you're going to have uh, issues to deal with. Water damage in the, your basement and, the, and your siding, all those sorts of things, rotting. Uh, and then, well, messes up your lawn as well. So don't have those problems like I did. So make sure you get someone to take care of it. And the best people to take care of it are the brothers that just do gutters. They specialize in only doing gutters. They don't do anything else. That's all they do. So if you need it cleaned, if you need them repaired, if you need them replaced, they can do any or all of those things and they can do a great job. Fully insured, uh, very efficient. They get things done in a hurry and they work in just about any weather, which is pretty amazing. So they were out there uh, for me. And like I mentioned before, they were out there in February taking care of my stuff in like really cold, rainy weather. Uh, and they did a fantastic job. Listeners of the show get 10% off if they mention Final Four when they talk to either Kurt on the west side of the state, Grand Rapids, out to Saugatuck, Holland area, or Greg and his team in the Metro Detroit area. So pretty much anywhere you are in Michigan, the southern part, you're covered. So get a hold of them. You can find contact information underneath your podcast player or on the website at thefinalfoursontheschedule.com. All right, so let's talk about the departing players for the Buckeyes this year. First, we'll begin with Bryce Sensabaugh. So <laughs> Bryce Sensabaugh was not the, um, was, as you mentioned before, a couple times, he was not the most highly rated recruit coming out, certainly well-regarded, uh, but he really exceeded what everyone expected, especially when it came to the offensive end. Averaging 16.3 points a game on 48, 41, and 83 shooting, also pulling down 5.4 rebounds a game, ended going in the first round of the draft, but also what you were saying earlier, despite his offensive um, uh, acumen, he really, really lacked on the defensive end. And when he was shut down at the very end of the season and was out at the Big Ten tournament, it's arguable, and maybe it's not even arguable, that the Ohio State Buckeyes were better with him not playing than they were with him playing. And um, and so despite him being so good, they were in some ways a better team when he was off the floor. Yeah, uh, no arguing with the fact that he was an offensive weapon. You know, the interesting thing about him is that for a freshman, he was really put together physically. Yeah. So he had great shooting numbers, although those came back to earth a little bit late in the year, but they were still very good. Plus 40% from three, almost 50% overall. Uh, he could overpower guys at his position. And yet he also had the ability to shoot the ball as well. So it was a very, very difficult combination to guard defensively. Yeah. He was a mess. And I think again, Ohio state was better without him in the lineup late in the year, I think in part because they had guys who were actually at least trying to guard someone <laughs> late in the season. And, and I don't, you know, it, it's a hard thing. Would, would you have rather had him return? Sure. I think if you're Chris Holtman, <laughs> I think you'd rather have a talent like that and gamble 
on the idea that you're going to be able to reach him and, and get him to play better defensively. So you can't say, well, good riddance necessarily, but this is, you know, there's a little bit of this that's similar to Jace Howard, you know, Jet Howard Jet at Howard, Michigan. Yeah, right, yeah. Well, Jet Howard, Jet, yeah. yeah, not Jace. Yet, similar, yeah. similar deal where you look at the numbers and you look at the offensive contributions and you think, boy, that's a loss. But then you look at how you played without him on the floor, and you figure out that the team was actually better without him. And you say, well, how is that possible? Well, it's a lot of things, but one of the things is the defense events. So. I think Ohio State would love to have a talent like him back but and figure that they could maybe get better team play out of him. Mm-hmm. But I also don't think they're going to be crying, you know, wailing how they how they could possibly go on without Bryce Sensabaugh. I think they figure they've got some talent that may be a little better balanced for what they need. Yeah, and I think in comparison to Michigan, I think Michigan needs that offense so much more than probably Ohio State does. And so you're... Well, going in this year, yes, right, yeah, you're right. right. Exactly. So it's a bigger exactly. loss That's in that sense point. for Michigan. Yes, I, I'd agree with that. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about the next uh, departing player, Justin Justice Suing, the guy from Hawaii, six uh, six. He was finally healthy last year and played okay. He averaged twelve point three points a game and five point two rebounds a game, shooting forty two twenty nine and seventy five. And I think that twenty nine is really the the difference. Yeah. He'd had a year I want to say he had a year that was much, much better than twenty nine. He did. And he so did. there's a the thought years was ago. yeah, the thought was, oh, he, he's gonna be okay. Last year, I think the year before he was injured and so that's it explained his poor shooting. But this year he was healthy and he still couldn't shoot. So that was sort of his big Achilles heel. And um anyway, so he'll someone I think they probably like from the team aspect, but losing his shooting is probably not that big a loss. He was he was actually playing well. I think one of the few veterans that was healthy and playing well at the end of the year. Yes, for them, uh, he was very good, as I recall, in that went over Michigan State at the Big Ten tournament. And you know, he kind of at times he kind of reminded me a little bit of Malik Hall in that he's a little smaller than Malik, but um, he was able to use his combination of size and face up ability to really get himself into good scoring positions on the floor. If you look at Malik at his best where he's patient, he's able where Aaron Henry was like this yeah. when he was going well, where they were able to use their off the dribble ability and their body to patiently work themselves into good scoring positions. Suing was doing some of that too. What held him back from being just a good player into maybe being something else was, as you say, the, the jumper, um, so, you know, he's a good veteran presence to have. He was a productive player. But again, I don't think they necessarily look at him and think, well, we can't replace that. Right. Next would be six foot three grad transfer from Oklahoma State, Isaac Likely, who averaged 3.8 points a game and four rebounds a game, shooting 39, 27, and 47, uh, which is, I mean, obviously we were complaining about suing, but this guy really couldn't shoot. Uh, it's a good playmaker, though. He had a 2.6 assist to turnover ratio, and he was definitely a pretty good defensively. He was actually pretty good on the perimeter, uh, but his problem obviously was that it's just his inability to shoot. And, um, but again, I think just like just doing, if I recall, he was playing, he had a pretty good tournament as well to finish this close out the season. Yeah, he did some good things. Um, it's just a shame he couldn't shoot because that's a, <laughs> when you're a guard, that's just a big limiter, you know, and it, it makes it hard for you to function because, You've got a guy that other teams aren't necessarily respecting with 100%. Um, decent defensive players, say decent secondary playmaker. 
um, did some things well, just couldn't hit a jumper. Yeah. And speaking of guys who couldn't hit a jumper, and I, Sean McNeil, 6'4", grad transfer, uh, scored a little under 10 points a game at 43, 37, 89 shooting. I only say couldn't shoot because there were some games where he was really bad and other games when he hit, yeah. he was very streaky. And so when he wasn't, he was, he was useless on the floor because he was so bad defensively. Right. right. And you look at the numbers, 43% overall, 37% from three, 89% from the line. Those are solid numbers. And when he was hitting, he was a weapon, but when he wasn't, then the defensive issues were magnified. He just couldn't guard anybody well. And, you know, I, I think this, I think somebody like McNeil would have been very useful if he could have played in a lesser role. You know, if you were looking at him as a 12 to 15 minute a night guy, whose major job, the focal point of what he was asked to do is, Hey, come in. We're going to get you loose. We're going to run you off a lot of screens. We're going to get you loose for some threes. Okay. But the more minutes you play a guy like that, generally speaking, um, the more readily opponents are going to identify you and exploit you on the defensive end. And it becomes subject to the law of diminishing returns. (laughs) And I think that was the case with McNeil. Like he was, he was a good shooter at times and he, he contributed on that end but he didn't do anything else. And so even on nights when he was doing that, sometimes it wasn't enough to offset what was happening at the other end. Yeah. Right. Uh, next would be Eugene Brown, six foot six junior. Uh, didn't really play a whole lot. Ended up kind of playing a small, small five. Uh, he played 22 games and he transferred to Georgia state, which I think probably tells the whole story right there. Yeah. Eugene Brown was a guy who just always seemed to maybe be on the cusp of getting into the regular rotation over three years. And he just never quite made the jump. And it was weird when, when we talked about Zed key getting hurt, when that happened, Ohio state was caught so short pun intended (laughs) on the interior that they had to play Brown as a small ball five for some minutes. And that was really weird because Eugene Brown is a guard. I mean, he's not a six, six undersized power forward. He's a guard. And they had him out there playing some five. <laughs> but yeah, going to Georgia State, I think, suggests he's maybe trying to find his level, and that level was not Ohio State. And finally, for departing players, Tanner Holden, 6'5", wing, came over from Wright State and uh, ended up only playing eight games, averaged 3.6 uh, points a game on 48, 50, and 86, but very limited volume, and is heading back to Wright State <laughs> to finish his career. I did not understand this one. I really didn't. Um, other than, yeah, he struggled defensively, but that was true of a lot of guys, as we said. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, he eight games, he sat out entirely. Yeah. Weird. So eight did not play coach's decision. He wasn't hurt. And you look at the numbers, and granted, they were on low volume, but 48 and 50 and 86 from the line is pretty good. And And there was optimism when they signed him that he would be a guy who could contribute, maybe even start. So I don't, I don't pretend to know what the answer was there for why it didn't work, but it didn't work with Holtman. And so, as you say, he's going back to Wright State to play his final season. Um, but again, it's not like he can, was able to contribute a lot, so you don't know how much Ohio State is really missing. Yeah, that's, uh, that's one of the few times I've seen a player leave and then come back to, to the school, I guess. Um, I mean, the players who have like left the 
I mean, I'm trying to think like Michigan State Connor Hayward. He, but he never left. He just kind of sort of left. The I'll give you. I'll give you another example. The Wahab kid, the big man who's at. Um, where is he at now? He's somewhere else. He's at Penn State right now. But he started at Georgetown, trans played a couple years at Georgetown, transferred to Maryland, then went back to Georgetown. Right. So what happened with him? And now he's gone to Penn State. So apparently, second time was not the charm. <laughs> At Georgetown for him, but it, it does happen, but you know, rarely let's put it that way. Yeah. Well, I mean, it depends on the circumstances you leave in and then whether there's a, there's actually a spot for you when you return. I mean, obviously yeah. all those things come into play. Um, in and, this, in this case, look, Holden was a big scorer at Wright state. I'm, I'm quite sure they were happy to welcome him back because their expectation would be, he can probably lead them in scoring. Sure. Yeah. So that's not a marginal ad, you know? Right. Uh, we'll talk about returning players then. So we'll start with Zed Key, six foot nine, two hundred fifty pound senior, and was even when he was playing, he was I think he was he, I swear he was injured all year long. I mean he was he missed ten games and a lot of it. They, they shut it down. But yeah, you'd see him and he'd go up and somewhere I would bump that shoulder and then or he'd fall down or something and then just it was sort of like um there was a, definitely vicariously you just like feeling the pain and everything ache as he goes down the court because he just looked like he was so limited. When he, I mean, when he was in, he was effective. He was 10.8 points a game, seven and a half rebounds a game, shot 55, 29, 66, and even averaged a block a game, but just never quite healthy. And the, I think, I don't know, did he play part of that game against Michigan State the, when they were in Columbus? And then they he um, left. I feel like he played a little bit, and then he was injured. Then he went out maybe. sad, and then they just clobbered Ohio State by like 20 or something. Could be. There, there were so many games. I saw several of them that I watched last year. I can't remember specifically the game against MSU, but um, there were so many games where you'd watch Key play for a few minutes and then something would happen physically. Yes. Um, and uh, and then, you know, that was it. <laughs> yeah. you, you could see it and then you could see him like continue on, but you're like, he's not the same player at that point. But, but here's the deal. Even despite that, when he played, he was effective offensively. Yeah. You know, 11 points a game, seven and a half rebounds, 55% from the floor, 66 at the line, which is okay for a big man, 29% from three, but that's a marginal deal for him anyway. He's not going to take many threes. Uh, the downsides for him are like a lot of guys with his build, he struggles to defend away from the rim. Inside, it's kind of like Nick Ward. Inside, he's pretty good. He averaged a block a game. He's got long arms, so he's okay if you're talking about him defending somebody one-on-one in the post. Um, but uh, away from the rim in pick and roll, that's where he struggles. Yeah, I think there, there's two things here. The first big key is obviously he's got to stay healthy. The second thing is it's going to be interesting to me to see the balance of minutes because Ohio State has another option we'll talk about in a minute mm -hmm. who looks better on the defensive end. Zed Key can play offensively. There's never, from the moment he stepped on the court at Columbus, there's never been a doubt about that. He's got good low post skills. He's got a body that enables him to create space. Um, and he's a solid rebounder. So all of those things check out as positives. But I do wonder what the balance of those minutes at the five is going to look like because there's an argument that less of Zed Key might be better for them. We'll just have to see. Next player, Bruce Thornton, uh, six foot three sophomore point guard. 
had a good freshman year. And then at the end of the season, especially during the Big Ten tournament, he really came on and he was very impressive. He averaged 10.6 points a game on 46, 38, and 73 shooting. Led the team in assists with a 2-1 to assist-to-turnover ratio. Uh, strong, athletic. I, there's I mean, great things to say about him. He's, he looks like he's the makings of a really good point guard and a great foundation for the team going forward. Yeah, I am very, very high on Thornton. And down the stretch, he was the guy. Yep. I mean, he torched Michigan State. MSU, who was a good set of defensive guards, could not handle him in that game in the Big Ten tournament. And and it was funny because the way he played in that game is the way I thought he would play all year long, and he really didn't, which is look to get to the rim, penetrate, make things happen that way because he's got all the tools to do that. He's got good quickness. He's got a good handle. He's physically very strong. There's no reason he shouldn't live in the lane. But for a lot of the year, he was very content to just kind of float around on the perimeter. And so it got better once he decided to be a little bit more dynamic. Um, There's strides he still needs to make. I mean, he's got to get to another gear as a playmaker, making his teammates better. Uh, He's got to improve his consistency in terms of his defensive focus. But I look at him and I think that's a guy who could be an all Big Ten point guard for sure. Yeah. And. I do expect him to take a big jump forward this year. I, I think this is going to be a very good year for Bruce Thornton. It needs to be. If Ohio State's going to finish where I've got them picked, it's going to happen because, in part, Bruce Thornton was really good. Next returning player is Roddy Gale, 6'5", sophomore wing. Also had a nice uh, run at the end of the season. He averaged uh, 4.6 points a game on 44, 43, and 81 shooting. And, uh, again, he's the other the other part of this uh Sophomore class that you think it's going to really, well, I said he's the second of the three parts of the sophomore class that are going to propel Ohio State to the top, in your opinion. Yeah, I think two things have to happen with him. Uh, Again, another guy, defensive improvements got to happen, but the physical tools are there, and he needs to rebound better. When you only get 1.6 boards a game from the wing, that's probably not enough. And this this was a team that really struggled to rebound defensively, which is a, a bad, bad thing when you also can't get opponents to miss shots at a high rate when, when they're, they're hitting at a high percentage and then they're able to successfully rebound a lot of their misses. That's not a good combination. (laughs) Um, but the other areas, Roddy Gale showed tons of potential. Uh, he, you know, he reminds me a little bit when I looked at him, he reminded me of a, a guy like Mo Ager for some reason where you could see Maybe not that plus, plus, plus athlete, but a really good athlete. It has an ability to shoot the ball, good size on the wing, not a point guard, but a decent handle. You know, I, I see some of those elements. So I expect Roddy Gale to be another guy that I'd be surprised if he doesn't take a step forward as a sophomore. And, and to, in my opinion, likely as a starter. And so the last part of that, sophomore class, uh, 6'10", foot 10, Felix Okapara. Uh, he also came on late and averaged four points a game and 3.6 rebounds a game in about 16 minutes, blocked 1.3 shots a game in just those few minutes that he played, and was almost 60% from the floor and 62% from the line. So he's the one, obviously, you're thinking of when you think of what sort of minute distribution you're going to have at the five yep. between he and Zed Key. Yeah, and I don't think they can play together. I mean, they're both fives. No. Yeah. So it's it's one or the other. Okpara, I think, is really interesting because 
the defensive potential is obvious. He's got shot blocking ability, and yet I think he's also got enough in the way of athleticism and lateral movement that he's at least got more potential to be effective in pick and roll defense as well. But I, I thought he showed late in that late run, he showed more offense than I'd been expecting. The book on him was that, well, the offense is a little bit raw. It might take a while, but he looked pretty decent. So that's something to watch with Ohio state. And I think if he doesn't have to be as good as key is offensively, but if he's at least solid there, then in my opinion, there's no reason to not play him more because he's going to give you more defensively. I have no doubt about that. And so it's going to be very interesting to watch the minute balance between these two guys. Cause I, I think there's an argument that potentially you might be better playing Okpara more minutes. And that's a tough thing. You know, Michigan State fans can remember this. If you remember uh, the 2019 season, the Xavier Tillman, Nick Ward thing, and that got sorted out in the end because Nick Ward got hurt. Right. But once he came back, it's not like it went back to the way it was. It was Xavier Tillman playing the majority of those minutes, and Nick Ward was playing, but he wasn't playing 25 a night the way he had been mm -hmm. Michigan state had found there was a formula with Xavier Tillman on the floor, even though he wasn't the low post player that Nick was, there was a formula that they, that equated to them being better overall. And I'm not saying it's going to be the same exact situation here, but I can see the potential for that. Yeah. And with Zed's history, I guess you'd expect that this may be, this may be more out, outside of Holtman's control than inside his control. If it, the injuries bug sort of what could be moves. Things yeah. Along. He could get hurt again too. Yeah. But uh, so the next returning player is Bowen Hardman, six foot three redshirt freshman from Cincinnati. Uh, but he only scored 12 points last year. So it's kind of hard to imagine he's going to do a whole lot this season. Yeah. I don't, I don't see uh, uh, an easy road for him increasing that role. And then finally uh, along the same lines, Kalen Etzler, uh, he's an eight, a six foot eight redshirt freshman, but he only played nine games last year. Same thing. Yeah. Um, he was a guy they thought had some potential, but it just hasn't shaken out that way. And uh, he's entering his third year in the program and coming off a year in which he only played nine games. So hard to, with what they've, what they're returning and what they've added, it's just hard to see major minutes for him. All right. Before we talk about the newcomers, I do want to remind you that one of the great sponsors of the show is nudge printing nudge printing you can find that nudgeprinting.com you can get 20 percent off your order if you enter the coupon code final four at checkout you can go to nudge printing to find our gear so you can find that at the final four is not the scheduled slash merchandise and there you can get either a hoodie or a logo tee also you can just go to like the nudge site and they have all kinds of spartan gear for basketball football they have all the vintage uh, logos and things like that which are really cool very unique so you can be the only one at the bar or at your tailgate or wherever you might be and they are also very high quality super comfortable again i always say it every time but it's true my family loves wearing them as soon as they're out of the washer they're on someone someone's wearing the next day and then it goes back so that they're always getting a lot of use and they're still holding up really well after it's been over a year now that all these shirts are hanging on uh and you probably can shoot free throws better if you wear their gear that's what i found so that you know it's one of my free throw competition wearing all nudge gear so Check it out at nudgeprinting.com. Again, 20% off your order by entering Final Four, that's one word, in the coupon code at checkout. 
All right, so talked about the newcomers. Well, the most important newcomer, the biggest one, we mentioned him briefly. If, for those of you who've been hanging on and were listening to the first preview with Minnesota, it's six foot seven, two hundred twenty pound transfer, grad transfer, Jamison Battle, who has uh, been around, we'll say. <laughs> so he's obviously a big addition. He was injured last year. He struggled a little bit. He's actually been injured a number of times, but last year he averaged twelve point four points a game on thirty seven, thirty one, and seventy eight shooting, three point eight rebounds a game, uh, and you know, the guy is the guy is really good. If you if he's going to be replacing Suing in the four slot, he's going to be a, a big upgrade. Assuming he's everything he was in the last previous seasons, which there's no reason to think he wouldn't be. Well, I'm not quite. I'm not <laughs> quite there, and the reason that I'm not quite there is last season happened, <laughs> right? And yeah. he was hurt, and he was inconsistent when he played. The Jamison battle of two years ago at Minnesota. No question. I think there are, I would take the chance that you're going to get something closer to that than you are to what he was last season in Minnesota. And it's not like he was a total failure at Minnesota. Just no. you look at those numbers, you know, 12 and a half points, 31% from three, only 3.8 rebounding uh, rebounds per game, but was vastly better the year prior. And I, I think there's a chance that they get an upgrade here. If he's if he's able to shoot the way he did at Minnesota two years ago, that's a big upgrade from what they they had with Suey because he was thirty seven percent from three and on decently high volume. Yeah, uh, two years ago for the Gophers. So I think you also have to factor in that he's going to be surrounded by a lot more talent at Ohio State, exactly. and sometimes that's not as easy as you think. But there's at least a potential way that this goes that he benefits from that because defenses aren't going to be able to load up on him. And that should mean he gets better shot opportunities. I like him a lot. And I think if he's close to the guy he was two years ago, then Ohio state's got a dynamite player at the four. And I think that's what he's going to be. I think he's going to be a four man for Ohio state and slot right into that spot that suing was in. And you know, to me, he's he's the one guy who represents the biggest potential upgrade. Other than obviously you have these returnees we've talked about who I think there's reason to believe should be better versions of themselves this year than last. But battle is a very clear potential upgrade if he's at or near his best. So next newcomer is Dale Bonner, six foot two. Grad transfer from Baylor. He averaged 4.7 points a game on 44, 37, and 75 shooting. Also a 2-1 to assisted turnover ratio. And so he'll be expected, I suppose, to be the backup for Thornton. Yeah, and I think he'll also play off the ball, too. Um, not a superstar, but there are a lot, there's a lot to like here. One, he comes from a winning program. And he comes from a place in Baylor that expects you to play both ways. So... That's a potential positive for Ohio State. Oh, here's a guy who's used to guarding people. You know, that's <laughs> that's helpful. Um, he's a good enough ball handler that, uh, as you stated, I think he will play a role backing up Thornton. I think they want to play Thornton a lot of minutes, ideally. But, you know, if Bonner can take eight minutes or so, something like that, that would be helpful on the ball. The, the thing I like about him is that there's the potential for real balance here because you know, he's known as a guy who can guard people. He can handle the ball, but he also shot 37% from three right. in the big 12. So 
he's proven to be an effective shooter. Ohio State's problem last year at the guard spot was uh, the wings, especially, is they were dealing with a lot of either ors. If they had a guy who could shoot the ball, he couldn't guard anyone. If they had a guy who could actually guard, like likely, he couldn't shoot. So Bonner at least potentially represents an upgrade there in terms of the depth in that he may be able to be a very balanced player for them. Next player, Evan Mahaffery, Mahaffey, excuse me, 6'6 sophomore transferred from Penn State. Uh, he's uh, probably playing the four. He was an energy guy there at Penn State. And of course, he was a guy, and I feel like he played really well at the end of the season too. He was, I think, helpful in their run yeah. to the Big Ten tournament. So he didn't average a whole lot, 2.8 points a game, 1.7 rebounds a game, but shot okay, 57, 33, and 57. Yeah, you know, you look at his numbers and – in watching Penn State, it always seemed to me he was better than that. Yeah. And I think what that says is that he was a guy who was really providing something tangible. You know, sometimes people talk about an energy guy, a try-hard guy. And sometimes the effect, the real effect of that gets exaggerated. And people oftentimes, not just in basketball, but in life, confuse activity with <laughs> actually getting something done. But in Mahaffey's case, I really think he did. I think he was he was put into a challenging position, a true freshman who was 6'6", and they were even sometimes playing him at the five. I mean, we talked about Ohio State having right. to go small yeah. late in the year. Penn State went small all year. <laughs> and, and yet he competed, you know? And so I, I think his role isn't going to be huge on this team, but... I still think he can be important because even if you only play him, say, 10 minutes, 11 minutes, 12 minutes, if he comes in and plays with his hair on fire the way he did last season at Penn State, he's going to get some things done. And and in the long run, you know, what you hope for is that he could continue to improve his skill set, become more reliable, steadier there, and then combine that with his motor and his toughness. But it's a it's a great addition from a depth point of view. I mean, Ohio State didn't have anybody like him last year. Yeah. You know, so that's a big that's a big addition, even if it's not going to manifest in huge minutes this year. I think Mahaffey is a program guy. So now we'll talk about the alluded to great freshman class that Ohio State's bring in. We'll start with Scotty Middleton, six foot six freshman wing, top fifty recruit. And uh well, I guess tell us about what you think about his game. Well, he's a guy Michigan State recruited a little bit. They offered him, and then it was pretty apparent that uh, he had his eye on other programs, so the, the recruiting process did not last long with him. Uh, very highly regarded player, and if I have to pick one guy in this freshman class that I think is likely to start immediately, it's probably him. I, I can see he and, and Roddy Gale as the starting wings. You know, he's a good athlete, decent shooter, they think has potential to get better and probably needs to improve. But man, the thing that you've got to like, if you believe that Ohio state can be better this year is that the word on him is that he's got great length, you know, he's six, six, but he's long in addition to that. And they think he can defend right away. So if that's true, then you could be talking about a guy who could make a big impact just by being an effective two-way player for them. You yeah. know, uh, but I think they have big expectations. So we'll talk about the next recruit, Devin Royal, six foot seven power forward. He was top 50 national recruit as well. 
I know Michigan State was looking at him for quite a while. And, um, yep. you know, I guess uh, he's obviously going to be playing more at the four. Well, yeah, you know, Michigan State was very serious about Devin Royal. And in the end, I think they were, I think, you know, you can get caught runners up doesn't mean very much, but <laughs> that was the sense. That was the sense there was, is that it was either going to be Ohio state or Michigan state and Ohio state won out. He's a Columbus area kid. So not a total shocker, but MSU has gotten guys out of that area before. So, um, very much worth taking a crack. The interesting thing to me is going to be, and, and, and part of the reason that, Unlike in some other past recruitments where Michigan State has been close but no cigar, and you have some fans that just can't let go of it, I have a feeling that <laughs> there isn't going to be much of that because the guy MSU turned to immediately when they lost out on Devin Royal was Cohen Carr. And they're very different players. Very different. <laughs> but I think... Michigan State, most Michigan State fans at least, would look at it right now and say, hey, the, the upside with Cohen Carr is so unreal that we're glad to have that. And I think and I think Ohio State's very happy too. Royal is a really good player, and he's a guy that I think is a safe bet to be at least an effective, a good, a solid Big Ten player, and maybe more than that in time. He's six seven, but as you mentioned, he's primarily, I think, going to be a four. Um, he's able to play a little bit bigger than that listed size. He's really good around the rim. His perimeter game is also developing. Um, I think defensively, if he's trying to guard really, really quick players, that might be where he would have trouble, but that's mostly going to be if he has to play on the wing. I think if he's playing fours primarily, it's going to be okay. Uh, the way I would look at it is he's likely going to be battles caddy this year. So mm -hmm. kind of like the way that Michigan state is looking at right now, guys like Xavier Booker and Cohen Carr, where they're not expecting them or needing them to come in and play 20 some minutes a night, but they can be a solid part of the rotation and grow that way. I think Devin Royals role ideally is going to be similar to that with Ohio state uh, over the long run. I am not going to be surprised if Devin Royal turns out to be a really good Big Ten player. Uh, but he was just, he was a different kind of profile. He was, he was more, um, and this doesn't mean that he's necessarily going to be this good or maybe he wouldn't be better. Who knows? But I thought of him very much as a guy like a Raymar Morgan, let's say. That kind of, or, or Malik Hall, that kind of player. Whereas Cohen Carr is that lightning in a bottle guy who maybe can go, you know, because of his athleticism has the potential to go even beyond that. Yeah. Um, uh, but you don't know, you know, MSU had a guy like that and BJ Dawson, who was really good for four years, but I don't think BJ ever found that next, next level, you know? So mm -hmm. you don't know, yeah. but I think, I think Royal's going to be good for them bright future. And I think he'll help them immediately. So the third player is Taysan Chapman, six, four guard. Uh, and again, another top 50 uh, recruit combo guard who can play on and off the ball. Yeah, I think most of the time is going to be off the ball and probably as a reserve. I would again, I would expect that, um, you know, he and he and Bonner are going to be uh, the the primary backcourt reserves 
for Ohio State, and I would expect that Thornton, Gale, and um, and Middleton are going to be your your three starters on the perimeter. But there's still obviously an opportunity for real minutes for Chapman, and I would expect that he's going to he's going to earn those minutes. Um, the word on him is that he's a very good shooter, but he needs to make improvements on the defensive end. So he picked the know, right again, team. the Chris, Hol- the Chris <laughs> Holtman profile. Um, but I, if he's as good as advertised, boy, that really lengthens the Ohio state rotation because now with he and Bonner, you've got two guys off the bench who can help and a five man perimeter rotation barring major injuries should be good enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and, and if those guys, if Middleton is as good defensively as they say, and Gail and Thornton make some improvements as sophomores, I think Bonner's going to be solid. You can afford one guy like Chapman. I mentioned if Sean McNeil had been in a little different role, it might've been a different story. Mm-hmm. If they can play Chapman, say 15, 18 minutes a game, and yeah, he struggles guarding, but he shoots 38% from three. Well, they can probably afford that if the other guys are able to play both ways, you know? And finally, 6'10", 240-pound, five-man Austin Parks. Uh, so he's going to back up Akpara and Zed Key. Yeah, they, they like him. They think he's got good low post skills. They also think he's got the potential and time to be a stretch player and hopefully to get better defensively. But I look at this, and to me, it's pretty clearly a two-man rotation at the five. And so I think this is a developmental year for Parks. But but he is a guy that they like in terms of his long-term potential. And maybe even as soon as next year, his, his second year, he would have an opportunity for minutes. Because presumably, Key is going to be gone. All right. So as a listener, I know you're thinking to yourself, no, wait a minute. Rod has Ohio State number three. Last year, he had Indiana picked first, but he didn't think they'd win it all. This year, he's got Ohio State number three again. I don't know. I think I could do a better job picking these, ranking these teams in Rod. So <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send my, my thoughts into the, the team here. And you can win gift prizes if you pick right. So 1 through 14, rank the teams. We'll use a criteria used by the Big Ten tournament seating. And also as a tiebreaker, how many points Michigan State scores against Michigan? Make sure you include your name, obviously. So we can keep track of things and it should be pretty easy. You can wait until the first big 10 game, which is in December. And uh, as long as you have your picks in by then it's okay. So just send it to Eric E-R-I-C at TFF com. And you know, if you think Rod's just drinking too much scarlet and gray Kool-Aid again, maybe this is maybe, or though maybe this is the year. I mean, you certainly have given lots of reasons to be optimistic. And I think that's your whole point here, right? That you've got a, you've got a, the, on paper, this is a lot of potential but you have to see it to believe it at this point, it's especially with Ohio State the last few years they've just disappointed. But maybe one of these times it's going to work, and maybe this is the year. You do. And, and I would fault no one for saying, wow, you, you just got Ohio State way too high. You can't believe in them until they prove it to you. But I look at the teams. You know, we've, we've talked about a lot of teams up to this point. Is there any team in that list who you feel – vastly more confident in i just don't i mean you could you could make an argument maybe for maryland or for wisconsin 
Um, but even there, you know, Maryland, yes, there are some veterans that are proven good players, but uh, there's still some question marks with that team. And you're not certain about the depth with Wisconsin. Yeah, they bring a ton back and they've added some good pieces, but that's a team like Ohio, like Ohio State that didn't make the tournament yeah. last year. So this is an upside play. If Ohio State plays somewhere reasonably close to their potential, they can finish this high. Um, and, and I think that this is the year where they're finally going to do it. But I fully acknowledge the risk in making that pick. I fully understand if someone else looked at it and said, eh, I, I just can't give them that much. I can't assign that much credibility to a Chris Holtman team until they, until they make me, until they prove it. Um, and I, I, the only thing I could say in my defense for this is when I look at the combination of things, I look at the talent level. I look at, um, I look at the, the depth. I look at the mix of shooting a playmaker, some size, all of those things. I like a lot of it. The big question mark is the same one it's been for the last several years. Can they guard anybody? And, and if they can, then this is, I think a pretty safe bet because offensively, I think they're going to do it. You know, they were good last season. They've been good the last several years. And even though they lost some guys that helped a lot, I don't see a lot of reason to think they're going to be much worse on offense. And in fact, if Thornton makes a breakthrough and becomes a more consistently dynamic player at the point, they could even be a little better offensively. I really do believe that. You know, if you if you think about what the high end potential is, say Jamison Battle is back to his self from two years ago. Well, that's a big addition. Mm-hmm. Say the freshmen are able to come in right away and be contributing offensive players, which Ohio State's had a knack for in recent years. And then Thornton is there making all these guys better and Gales better. You can see a path where this could be a really good offensive team. But, man, it's all at the other end. Can they guard somebody? Can they defensively? Can they rebound defensively? And if they don't do those things, then they're not going to finish this high. If they're as bad as they were last year, they will not finish third, no matter what they do on offense. I'll guarantee that. But I'm betting on at least a little bit of improvement there, and I think that'll be enough to make them the best of the rest outside of the big two. Yeah, and I think we still struggle, and, and maybe not as much as last year, but there's still a big struggle in trying to figure out with the transfer and additions and what people are, how people are going to perform with a new team. You know, and what can you bring the you know your, yeah. your averages from like a, an Ivy League to now? Ohio State doesn't have that problem as much as other teams, and so I think you probably can feel a little more confident yep. in what they're going to be than you know in Illinois or someone like that, right? Where there's just really you know a lot more absolutely. You, you're you're basically talking about um, one transfer that I'm talking about as a potential starter, right? In battle, right? You know, and a proven one but, in the Big Ten level too. It's not like right, he's never played, right? Yeah, exactly. You're not talking about well, this is a transfer up guy. We're not sure how it's going to translate. No, he's done it at the Big Ten level, and even his bad season was okay. His bad season last year was basically on par with what um, Suing did. Yeah. you know, last year for Ohio state. So I don't think there's a big, big risk that they go backward at that position. I think the only question is how much better are they? 
you know, but I think there's a reasonable chance that they are better. And then the only other transfers you're talking about are, are Bonner and Mahaffey. And, and those are guys that could be important, but they're not, you're not asking them to come in and play 25 minutes a night right? or start exactly. most likely, yeah. you know? So you're bringing them and Bonner is coming from the big 12. Mahaffey's coming from the big 10. So again, it's the same deals with battle. These are guys who have already proven it at this level of play. So it's reasonable to expect that you kind of know what you're going to get a little bit more than, than maybe some of the guys they were bringing in in prior years, like last year where you had, you know, McNeil coming, uh, transferring up, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. that was, you just didn't know because he wasn't coming or Tanner Holt. Those guys weren't coming from a high major environment. And uh, the other thing you'd expect with the, at least with the, the way history has been playing out the last few years at Ohio state, that of those three highly regarded recruits, one of them will just be gone. One and done. It seems to be sort of the pattern <laughs> in bit Ohio state, it's possible. but you don't know which one yeah. <laughs> till the season. Right. Right. I it, look, Devin Royal could shock us and become the guy. I, I don't rule it out. The, the interesting thing is, though, you know, last season with Sensabaugh, even though he wasn't a highly, highly high, he wasn't the highest rated guy in the class. I believe that was Thornton. Um, but there was word coming out of Columbus over the summer. Like they have their equivalent to Moneyball down there. They have a pro-am in Columbus. Mm-hmm. And Sensabaugh was absolutely killing people. So by the time it got to the season, in fact, I'm pretty sure we mentioned that in our preview last year, that we'll expect Sensabaugh to likely be a starter and a big minutes guy because he's just been killing people since he got to town. And that ended up panning out. I have not heard similar things about any of these guys yet, but they were all so highly regarded. I'm, I'm expecting them to be good. Well, you might be right. One of them, you know, Scotty Middleton, could be a 15 point a night guy and be gone. You just don't know. Yeah. Well, we definitely seem to be, have a couple surprises every season in the big 10. So I guess there's no reason for not to be a few more, although I don't, it's hard to imagine another Northwestern, but I mean, Hey, anything's, <laughs> anything's possible. I suppose. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. So uh, just as a final reminder, if you are interested in supporting the show, we greatly appreciate that. Obviously you can be a one-time supporter via PayPal or Venmo or a recurring uh, patron through Patreon or Substack, where you support us on a monthly basis. Those are all highly encouraged. There are also different layers, uh, levels, I should say, at Patreon, and you get various benefits. Obviously, if you're in, if you're a contributor on a, on a recurring basis in either of those programs, you have an opportunity to win Nudge, print, uh, nudge Printing gift cards for the Nudge Printing gear. Uh, I guess until, we, the way we do these previews is that we do the 13 teams, and then we do Michigan State. And so we do them in order, up until wherever Michigan State falls. So, I'll leave you in suspense where Rod has Michigan State if he has them above or behind Purdue because next will be the last other Big Ten team, the Purdue Boilermakers. Until then, the final four is on the schedule. Go green.